on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and it is Thursday, March 14th for episode 72 of the Jake. Thanks for joining us. This is a big episode this week. A lot of newsworthy items. Uh, for you Browns fans, it's been a good week. What am I talking about exactly? Of course I'm talking about the Bachelor finale. I mean, Colton picking Cassie and that whole shit show that went down with her dumping him and him running away, him jumping a fence, and no, no, I'm kidding. No, The Bachelor actually ended up sucking. It was uh, not worth all the hype. I got to give the editors over at ABC the most credit because they can make one tiny little bad night turn into like three weeks worth of anticipation and a season's worth of drama. So shout out to them and uh, good job making that watchable. No, but what I'm really talking about is the big news. The Cleveland Browns traded for one of the most exciting players in the NFL, Odell Beckham Jr. this week from the New York Giants. Now, obviously this is a big one for me. I'm a Browns fan. Uh, I was a huge fan of Odell Beckham Jr. coming out of college. When he was at LSU, I wanted Johnny Manziel and Odell Beckham so badly in the 2014 draft. Now, I was a little wrong on Johnny Manziel, which a lot of people were. I wasn't alone, but uh, I was not wrong on Odell Beckham. That guy is something else. And now he's going to be donning brown and orange under contract. He's gotten paid. They might pay him more. Who knows? But it's just really exciting times in Cleveland. John Dorsey is going for it. And I'm just really pumped. There have been only a few times that I've been this excited in Cleveland, for the Browns at least. You know, I've had Indians moments. I've had obviously the Cavs, you know, winning the 2016 NBA Finals. But the Browns haven't had that many moments. And I've spent more time on the Browns than any of the other teams probably combined. So... Uh, it's just an exciting time, and you know what? For this week's top five, we're actually going to cover the Browns, going to talk about my top moments, and then introducing a new segment later this episode. Uh, joining me is Jake Burns. Had a great interview with Jake. It's like my third or fourth time having him on the podcast. He's he When it comes to knowing Browns, he is like my favorite insider. He knows everything, and his film breakdown is awesome. His rap sheet keeps getting longer. I mean, every time you go onto his Twitter bio, it's just another publication he's working for. So uh, stick around for that. It's going to be a great interview with Jake. And we talk about a couple Browns things that real people aren't talking about just yet. You know, it's uh, a lot of people are really excited about OBJ, but uh, we get into a lot more of it. So, so yeah, it's it's uh, the OBJ move is huge. Sends ripples. I mean, I'm in New Jersey. I'm surrounded by Giants and Jets fans all the time. I grew up with these guys. The Giants fans were so cocky when they won the Super Bowl over the Patriots when I was a senior in high school. Uh, the perfect Patriots team went down. Then four years later, I was a senior in college. All my friends still living off the glory of that you know, 2007 Super Bowl when the 2011 won as well. Or I guess it was 08, the Super Bowl, and 12 because of the, you know, in the new year. But you know, those are my senior years of high school and college where – one year the Browns were ten and six. They're just as good as the Giants, and they and you know and the Giants won the Super Bowl, and the Browns missed the playoffs. You know the other year, eh, Browns weren't that good, but Giants again barely five hundred team win the Super Bowl, and I have to live with all these Giants fans. It's it can be annoying, and my roommates are great people, but man, watching them be excited about their football team really sucked when my team wasn't good. But that changed. That changed. You know. The last couple years have been bad in Cleveland, and then John Dorsey came in and said no more, and boy, are they making it an exciting team. It's going to be an exciting season for the Browns. The expectations are high. You know, there's there's no coming down from this. You know, we want playoffs. It isn't going to be seven wins isn't going to make anybody happy anymore. Seven wins was great this year. Not anymore, though. So it's going to be an exciting time. Um, yeah, but we're going to get to... The top Browns moments, we're going to get to Jake Burns' interview where we go over the in-depth stuff with the Browns. Uh, right now, you know, I, I think uh, that we have to take a look at the Giants' side of things. Uh, a lot of the Browns fans out there probably 
don't think about it as much as I do, but being here, I have to console these Giants fans. I got to tell them, listen, this is what I've gone through. I've gone through having a team and knowing that this next year is going to be bad. And we don't really have a direction because we don't have a quarterback yet. We have this old quarterback. Now, Eli is different than quarterbacks the Browns have had because he's won two Super Bowls, but he's playing just as good as Jake DeLome played when he was here. He's playing just as good as old Kelly Holcomb or Jeff Garcia. I mean, Eli Manning's at the end of his career, and he isn't helping the Giants. What he, The best thing he can do is mentor a young guy. Now, is that young guy in this draft? Maybe. Maybe it's Dwayne Haskins. I, I think... I think Dwayne Haskins is a pretty good thrower of the football. He threw for 50 touchdowns as his only starting season in at Ohio State, Big Ten record. But, you know, if I were the Giants, I make a move to correct last year's mistake when they didn't take a quarterback. Josh Rosen had a really tough year in Arizona. They had no one blocking for him because of injuries along the offensive line. Uh, they had Larry Fitzgerald and a bunch of young receivers who hadn't proven anything in the NFL. And David Johnson coming back from injury with a rookie head coach and Steve Wilkes, who's a defensive guy. It was a real mess, and Josh Rosen came in and had no chance. Now Arizona's picking first overall. It looks like they want Kyler Murray. So they're going to want picks for Josh Rosen. Well, Giants just, just took two picks from the Cleveland Browns for Odell Beckham. I think they should make a move for Josh Rosen. I think Rosen, if you surround him with an offensive line and give him a couple good weapons, he is a franchise quarterback. And if you could get him for less than franchise quarterback value, you go for it. If they could, I mean, rumors are out there that a second round pick would probably do this trade, that that would be it. I think that's a steal because you can't, you're not supposed to be able to get franchise quarterbacks via trade. You know, this is what I was yelling at Giants fans all year about was you can't just get the quarterback next year. It's not always going to be a guy available. There's not always going to be a guy in the draft. So this would be huge if there's one available because Arizona's done with this one and they're moving on to the next one. I got to say, Giants got to pounce. Because if they don't, maybe the Redskins do. Maybe the Jaguars do. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe Rosen doesn't do anything. Maybe he is in a battle with Murray and it's a, just a complete shit show out there. I don't know. But if I'm the Giants, I trade for Josh Rosen. Have him learn under Eli. Can't think of a better teacher for Rosen than Eli because Eli has dealt with some tough media. And Josh Rosen, we know he's a little abrasive when it comes to the media. So he's going to have to be careful if he comes to New York. But Rosen and Barkley in the backfield... You know, Zeitler up front, you finally got someone protecting. If you could get another good guard and possibly have a good offensive line for this young duo, you got Sterling Shepard, you get another mid-round pick at wide receiver and start to really form an offense of young studs. You got two first-round picks this year. Giants fans, all I'm saying is, I know you're bummed about Odo Beckham going. Some, are, some aren't bummed. But for the ones that are bummed, I've been there. I know what it's like to have to face a, a, a total rebuild. Now, the Browns botched their rebuild a couple times. Uh, there were missed picks. There were tough injuries. There were feuds between head coaches and GMs and owners and things just not going along. Like, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for the Cleveland Browns. But it seems like they're turning the ship now. And it took long enough, so Giants fans, you know what? If you have anyone that can help you out with this, it's, it's your boy Jake. So, I got you. Alright, enough about the Giants though. This isn't a Giants podcast, this is the Browns podcast. Now before I get into the top new Browns moments, that's my top five of this week. We're going into this Odell Beckham trade as a top moment, right? This is big. This is huge. They're going for it. You know, everyone has read the thousands of tweets that are out there, but I want to go into what this means going forward. And we're going to talk about that with Jake. But before we talk about that with Jake, I'm really excited about these moments. All right, let's just dive right into them. 
my favorite moments, my top 10 favorite moments in the new Browns era. I say new Browns because it's been tough being a fan of the new Browns. The old Browns wasn't tough being a fan of them because they had some really good runs. They won NFL championships. They were one of the better teams in the 1980s. Leaving Cleveland was obviously terrible, but when they came back, that's when the real bad stuff started. So, what are the top moments in the new Browns era? We start with number 10, the Cleveland Browns road comeback at the Tennessee Titans. Yes, a couple years ago, just a regular game against the Titans, usually a boring game. The Browns were not looking too good. Brian Hoyer, a favorite of mine, and you will hear his name on this list again. Brian Hoyer led one of the biggest comebacks in NFL history, and it was the biggest road comeback in NFL history. And to be honest, I'm not sure if that record still stands, but the 27-point comeback at Tennessee with multiple touchdowns to Travis Benjamin and just... It was just an exciting time because the Browns didn't really have a direction. Johnny Manziel was there, but wasn't exactly fitting in yet and showing that he belonged. But Brian Hoyer, coming off a year where he was giving some exciting moments to the Browns fans. Josh Gordon was a stud in 13, so now 14 comes around and you're thinking, you know, if Josh Gordon can get his head on straight. Brian Hoyer is the local boy. He wants to do it for Cleveland. And then he leads this gutty performance in a comeback fashion. And yes, we all saw draft day that year. It was a lot of fun. And just seeing that made me return my Johnny Manziel jersey. That is right. And in return, I got a Brian Hoyer jersey. So yes, I'm one of the only people in New Jersey with a Brian Hoyer jersey. And I'm proud of it. Still have it. Still wear it. We're at the Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl champion now. All right, number nine. You guys remember this one. With the 22nd pick of the 2014 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Johnny Manziel. Yeah, that's right. I was really excited when they drafted Manziel. I was pissed they passed on him, and then they passed on him again, and then they traded down again. Uh, but then they traded up to 22, and then went out and got the quarterback. Now, revisionist history, right? Johnny Manziel, he sucks. He's been cut by multiple Canadian teams. Uh, he's been given so many opportunities and blown them away. He's got some talent, but a lot of it was luck and ballsiness, however you want to put it. Johnny Manziel's tenure as a professional football player hasn't gone well, but at the time, he was exciting. The Browns needed a quarterback. They had a young head coach, Mike Pettin, that a lot of people liked. They had a Pro Bowl left tackle. They had a superstar wide receiver, and they had two first-round picks. Everything was just falling right in their lap that if Johnny Manziel could just get his shit together, he would be a special quarterback in Cleveland. Unfortunately, it didn't go that way, and we would have to wait a little longer for our fantastic franchise quarterback. But at the time, it was quite an exciting night. Not everybody loved it. I did. All right. Number eight, my main man, Josh Cribbs. Lines it down the field. It bounces, and Cribbs had it bounce off him. That's a live ball. Back by the goal line. He's got to come out with it. He's to the five. He angles. He's up the sideline. He's still running. He's to the 20, 25, 30. He's to the 40. He's down the sideline and angles left. He's to the 35, 30, 25, 20. He's got blockers in front. Five. Touchdown. Joshua Cribbs turns disaster into a score. Unbelievable run. 100 yards for Cribbs. What the... Pick up the bouncing kickoff. And the big question is, does he step out of bounds? No. 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 What, what a high wire act. You said it right. Incredible. That ball, he was waiting for it to roll into the end zone for a touchback. And then out of desperation, he had to just scoop it up and take off. He did not step out. But the flag challenge, the red flag is out on the Pittsburgh sideline. Well, they don't slow down. 
The runner did not step out of bounds. Therefore, it is a touchdown. Josh. Wow. I mean, look, one of my favorite plays in Cleveland Browns history is that kick return for Josh Cribbs. The Browns and Steelers were in a tough battle. The Steelers had just taken a fourth quarter lead uh, on a gutty drive. And the very next play was a kickoff that went above Josh Cribbs' head, head. Live ball down to the one-yard line. He was hoping it would go into the end zone. He could take a knee. But he had to pick it up because the Steelers kickoff team was coming for him. Jukes a couple guys. Goes right to the sideline. Looks like he's going to fall out of bounds. And he is like leaning over out of bounds. And he somehow holds himself up. Dodges a couple tackles. And then brings it 100 yards to the touchdown. I mean, you hear it in Donovan's voice. Deacon, Sims, Nance, they're all shocked by the play. It really was the perfect play to encapsulate like, the whole Josh Cribbs experience in Cleveland. He was so exciting. He's one of the best return men ever to do it, especially at kick returns. Punt returns, I know, you know Devin Hester is the man and Dante Hall is there too. But when it came off to kickoffs, Josh Cribbs was one of the best kickoff returners, period. All-decade team, he was the man. And the best part about that video, the best part about that was... Ben Roethlisberger's face after Josh Cribbs returned that for a touchdown. He's looking around like he wants to kill someone. He's stunned and pissed all at the same time, and it is so perfect to watch. As one of his biggest haters, it was it was a real special moment to just see his face because it was perfect the way that the cameras caught him just being so pissed off. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, that was a fun time. And 2007... Again, my senior year, Browns were 10-6 and six that year. A lot of really good moments they had. Uh, I mean, Derek Anderson in a Pro Bowl year. Braylon Edwards, Jamal Lewis, Kellen Winslow, Phil Dawson, Joe Thomas. They had a lot of firepower on that team. A very good offense. And they came up just short of the playoffs. Should have been a playoff team. That was real tough. Eric Steinbach, another Pro Bowl guard to that team. Wow, I love that 2017. You'll see a lot of this is either 07 when the Browns were 10-6, 14, when the Browns were winning the division at Thanksgiving, or a couple things sprinkled here and there, okay? But, man, what a moment. That was a really good one. Okay, so moving on to the next one on the list. Ah, same season, 2007, Browns at Baltimore. His career long is 52. Three seconds remaining. Dawson leans into it. Does he have enough? No good. What a finish. It hit the post. Right down the middle, a little push into the wind. Watch it hit the bar and then reject it oh. as it bounced back through. There's a question whether the ball went past the crossbar and came back. We will take a look at this play. Well, then, that's exactly what happened. And if we can freeze it one more time, we're going to tell you. See, it hit that crossbar. Now, watch as it comes. See, right now, it's through the goalpost. The ball came to rest on the other side of the goalpost. See, we, we're blowing it. The field goal hit the top of the crossbar. Went over and hit the extension on the back side, which in fact is a good field goal. Unbelievable. That is that one of my favorite moments. I mean, I know this is a list of my favorite moments, but that one was truly amazing. Go back to 2007. I'm a senior in high school. That weekend, I'm visiting colleges to see where I'm going the next year. We're down in Baltimore because the Browns are playing the Ravens. And we leave that game because they said the field goal was no good. So my dad said, we got to hit the road. Let's, I mean, we got a late night. It, this, was a, this was a 4 o'clock game. It's already dark. Time to go home. On our way to the car, my dad gets a call from his friend Mitch McCullough. Mitch says, can you believe this? Brains, what is happening with Cleveland? I said, I know, yeah, this was a tough one. Yeah, tough to lose, especially since they're in a division race. And he goes, no, 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 
They're walking back on the field. And me and my dad just start sprinting back to the stadium. This is when they allowed you to re-enter stadiums, too. We got in. We saw that they actually made they made the field goal. It hit the up. It hit the upright. Then it hit the inside part of not the crossbar, but the like stanchion part that keeps it up. So it was a made field goal, even though it bounced back out. One of the most remarkable field goals I have ever seen, and the fact that they brought the teams back out on the field and said it was a tie game. Let's go to overtime. Josh Cribbs, big return couple big plays to get us in the field goal range and Dawson wins it we go home with a victory truly unbelievable moment I mean wow just just an awesome awesome time number six another one that I was at I uh, don't have a clip for this one but Brian Hoyer in that 2014 season led a game where the Browns throttled the Steelers to a three-score victory uh, it was basically 30-3 to the whole game, and the Steelers had a last-minute touchdown to make it look s- somewhat pres- you know, respectable. But Browns had a double-digit lead at halftime. They ran all over them in the third quarter, where basically the game was over by the time the fourth quarter started. Big Ben was on his back the whole game. The Browns' O-line dominated, and Hoyer played a smart football game where they just took care of business and throttled the Steelers. Not many times in my lifetime can you say that. Actually, I think only one time in my lifetime you can say that, and it was that game. It was it was unbelievable. It was so much fun. Back at the Browns bus, we call it the Browns bus because my uncle has a bus painted like the Cleveland Browns helmet. Uh, one of my uncle's friends didn't even know how to handle himself. He took the boxes of donuts we had sitting on the on, on the bus and started winging them at people in the parking lot as if he was like shooting from a bunker. I mean, if, if there was a news camera there and it was reporting on the Browns beating the Steelers, all the headlines would be Browns fans don't know how to comprehend beating the Steelers. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And one of those games that you look back and say, I can't believe Jake is nine, or I'm sorry, eight, eight, and one in his career Browns games. But you know what? When you make that win and you make other wins like possible next couple on this list, uh, you're going to get some wins in there and possibly bring up your winning record because not a lot of people can say they've gone to 17 Browns games and have a winning record and have a 500 record. Yeah, I was at the tie too, but whatever. All right, number five. This is a big game for two players. Uh, Josh Cribb being one of them. He had two return touchdowns. This was a game played uh, in 2009 at the end of the season. The Browns had basically had another lost season. They're playing for draft position at this point. Uh, We're at my sister's family birthday party right before Christmas, but... We had a Browns game to watch as well. So we went down in the basement and saw the Browns put up 40-plus points on the Kansas City Chief. It included two kick return touchdowns from Josh Cribbs and a record performance from Jerome Harrison. Off the timeout, Royal goes in motion. Handoff, Harrison, first down and more. Jerome Harrison. Walking the tightrope and will take it in for the touchdown. 44 seconds left. Harrison with his third touchdown of the day. And Jerome Harrison has 286 yards rushing. Unbelievable. I mean, not only did he pass Jim Brown well before that for the best rushing game in Brown's history, but... It was the third best rushing game in NFL history. It still lives on the record boards as one of the best of all time. And it was this guy who was basically an afterthought, was a backup all season, got a chance late in the season. So what Eric Mangini do? Gave him 34 carries, ran him into the ground, but gave him one of the greatest performances of all time. I mean, pretty stunning that the, that he could also get that with two Josh Cribbs return touchdowns. Like, that's two drives that Cribbs took away from 
Harrison possibly going for 300 rushing yards. Think about that. Chiefs gave up a ton of yards that game on the ground and in special teams. Brady Quinn didn't do a whole lot, but he had a nice scramble. Oh, man, that was when we still thought Brady was the guy. That's too bad. All right, moving on to the list. We're in the top five now. Number four, this one has a bit of more of a backstory to it. I was at this game as well. Browns home openers. Rarely ever win the home openers. Never start 1-0. But after starting 0-1, they come back home, had a chance to go 500. Usually when you start 0-2, it's a bad omen for the rest of the season. But start 1-1, you're just like half the rest of the other league. So, ah, the New Orleans Saints are coming to down. And Drew Brees, who beats everybody, coming in. But Brian Hoyer, yeah, that guy, Brian Hoyer, 2014. Beat a lot of teams in 2014. He wouldn't say no. And the Cleveland Browns were in position with a field goal late in the game to win. Now, Billy Cundiff makes the field goal, Browns take the lead, and win the game on the kickoff, which did not result in a touchdown. Uh, what was awesome about this was we never go out to the Browns' first game of the season and see them win. I've seen them tie, I've seen them lose a lot, but outside of that win against the Saints, it just doesn't happen. And to think that prime Drew Brees and Sean Payton and that whole team and you could take them down, Cleveland, I mean, this was awesome. This was so much fun. And the best part was a little story. Leaving the game, we're all on the bus. We're going home, back to Youngstown. And it was a little quiet. And this is the time of the bus ride that I'm usually rationalizing with myself. You know, after, after we lose the Steelers, I like to say, you know what? You know, we played Ben well. We he didn't beat us today. You know, like it, Joe Flacco, he didn't do much. We took down Joe Flacco. We just beat ourselves. And then in this game, I decided to tell my uncle. I go, you know, Jimmy Graham had a big day, but Drew Brees didn't beat us today. And everyone's still quiet on the bus. And my uncle looks at me. He goes, Jake, we won. Nobody beat us today. The Browns won. And I'm like. Oh my God, I'm so used to having to rationalize. I'm so used to having to tell myself that, oh, that, like it wasn't all that bad, that the Browns actually did well. But yeah, they actually won this game. So yeah, Drew Brees didn't beat us today. And now Drew Brees didn't beat us today is a common uh, quote among the Brainy family. And boy, it would have been great if they had beaten uh, the Saints in week two this year because, man, they were so close. But uh, anyway, going on. All right. Number three, an off-season move. Yeah, there were a lot of great Browns moments in games, all right? I know that, you know, if you're not a Browns fan, you'll laugh at that because you think they never win, and they rarely win, but when they do win, it's a lot of fun. But some of the best things happen in the off-season, and just this past week. Breaking news from the NFL, a blockbuster involving Odell Beckham Jr., the Giants have agreed to trade their star wide receiver to the Browns. Yeah, I mean, look, don't have to beat around the bush here. Odell Beckham was traded to the Cleveland Browns this week, and I am stoked. He hasn't done anything for the team yet. I understand that. This isn't like I'm not anointing him the greatest receiver in Browns history, but they made a move that they're going for it. And with Baker Mayfield, and with a good offensive line, and with a good running game, David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, Richard Hollywood Higgins, this offense can operate. Not to mention the new beefed-up defensive line, which has Olivier Vernon and Sheldon Richardson, opposite Larry Ogunjobi and Miles Garrett. Still have Joe Schobert manning the middle. They've got some pretty good D-backs out there, too that they're going to be able to compete with a lot of good teams. I look at the New England Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs and say, okay, we're going to fight you. And I think we can beat any team that's on in front of them this year. They get New England at New England this year. They get the Steelers, Ravens, Bengals twice each. These are games that I'm not afraid of anybody. 
go into Foxborough week one, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, do whatever, I think they can go toe-to-toe with them right now. That's how confident I feel about the Browns. It is an exciting time, and I just can't wait to keep going. Odell Beckham, I am so excited for him to get the football. All right, that was number three. Number two, this is number one for a lot of people, but it's number two for mine. Run, William, run. Second down, and second down. They give it to Green. Green stutter step. He's through. First down, 40, 45, 50, 45, 40. Run, William, run. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. <laughs> We've been waiting for it to break the big. Yeah, you heard it. Donovan Deacon, they loved it. That was my favorite moment. In any Browns game ever. I was there. Yes, I luck out. I make it to all the best Browns games because I was there sitting in the snow, everyone freaking out when William Green broke that big touchdown run that took an eight point lead over the Atlanta Falcons, which eventually got the Browns, yes, into the playoffs. 2002 was a simpler time. I was young. I was, what, 11 years old? Oh my gosh. And yet the Browns made the playoffs, something that has only happened once in new Browns history. Ugh. It, it's, of course it's on this list. And I was there. I was throwing snowballs with everybody else. We were there watching the Jets, hoping that they would win, hoping that the Patriots would lose, watching everything un- unfold so that the one weird scenario where the Browns could make the playoffs actually does happen it was such a glorious day it was so much fun and even though they lost in the playoffs the next week and you know it 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 was short-lived that moment that run will forever live in brown's history now why is it not number one it's a good question it was number one for me for a really long time up until last year it certainly was but no number one goes a little bit differently another off-season number one Yeah, needless to say, Baker Mayfield, he's our guy, he's our quarterback, the first franchise quarterback we can say that we have. We know this whole movement that's going on right now is because we've secured the bag, because we got the franchise guy. So now it's all about protecting him. I know it's fun to get weapons. I'm excited with Odell Beckham. I think it's just as important to protect him, though. You know you have this guy here. They're going to keep paying him whatever he wants for the rest of his life because they're never going to let him leave because of the energy and the attitude he brings here. And Jake Burns is going to talk to us about what Baker Mayfield brings to the field and what the Browns know they have with him because he is special. He is a leader. He is a great passer. And he's going to be a top quarterback in the league real soon. I mean, for the next decade, we're going to be talking about Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, and it might be a big drop-off after that, you know? Like, it could be that after these, you know, Brady and Roethlisberger and all these old folks are out. This youth movement of Watson, Mahomes, uh, Luck, Luck's a little bit older than them, but Watson, Mahomes, Baker... I think Wentz is still uh, able to be there. I think Josh Allen and, and Sam Darnold can be up there. Maybe Josh Rosen. We are in an era of quarterback, and the Browns have one. And the Browns know how to protect him. And the Browns are going for it. And drafting him was just so perfect. It made all the sense in the world. He gets us. Baker Mayfield was kicked to the curb. Nobody wanted him. He walked on. He kicked ass for Texas Tech. Then Cliff Kingsbury wouldn't give him a scholarship. By the way, if that's not a Monday Night Football game, I don't know what. Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray versus Baker Mayfield and Steve Wilkes. I mean, come on. This is perfect. But everyone knows the Baker Mayfield story by now. It's just so beautiful. And it's so great that he's our guy. And I can't wait for 
the next era of Browns football to really usher in. All right. Thanks for my top 10, guys. I love, love playing around with that. It was supposed to be a top five, but I mean, I'm very excited about the Browns this week. I'm really pumped up for where they're going, what they're doing, and I, it's, I, so I gave you 10. I gave you 10 moments, a lot of fun ones, a lot of little sound clips. I uh, want to do a quick one-minute movie review before we jump into the interview with Jake Burns. This year's one-minute movie, this year's, this week's one-minute movie review is Triple Frontier, a Netflix original starring Ben Affleck, Oscar, Oscar Isaac, and Charlie Hunnam. Uh, good movie. Really cool heist slash like black ops type movie where five ex-military uh, go rogue on their own into the jungle of Brazil to rob a drug lord, kill him, and bring the money home. But of course not everything goes as planned. Uh, I thought the acting was great. Ben Affleck plays a bit of like an asshole in it and he's great at it. Uh, Oscar Isaac, I think, is a super underrated actor, and his performance in this was probably his best I've seen on the big screen. Charlie Hunnam, I'm not a fan of Charlie Hunnam. He's the same thing in every role he plays, where he's basically just a good-looking bad guy, but he has a code, so he's not technically a bad guy. He can do a ton of bad shit, but since he like feels bad about it, and since he like does one good thing at the end, oh, we're supposed to like treat him like he's the man. So uh, yeah, for you fans, there's actually a couple of listeners out there that love Charlie Hunnam from his Sons of Anarchy days. I don't like Charlie Hunnam. Uh, I loved Sons of Anarchy. I just didn't like his Jax Teller character. Um, but movie was good. Had a couple twists and turns I didn't see coming. It was a bit graphic. It seemed realistic in terms of how the military action worked and uh i just really enjoyed it i didn't see it coming i mean i didn't see a lot of advertising for it it was my girlfriend's suggestion to watch it so uh yeah it was a good one though so check out triple frontier on netflix i gave it two outstanding thumbs up all right the moment you've been waiting for my interview with the OBR and Cleveland.com's Jake Burns. We get into the moves that the Browns have made this week, what they do from here, his experience with Game of Thrones over the last month, and, of course, everyone's favorite, Porter Burns. So take a listen, guys. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. All right, Browns fans, very excited for this next segment. It's a brand-new segment I like to call Six Dangerous Questions where we attack Cleveland Browns and uh, what's currently going on in, in the environment around Cleveland. So uh, really excited this week because I have one of my favorite guests on of the Jake podcast. It's a special Jake Squared episode. If anybody knows Cleveland Browns, it's this guy. So he's like the Khaleesi or Jon Snow of Browns Twitter right now. It's exactly, you know that laugh. I'm talking about Jake Burns of Cleveland.com and the OBR. Jake, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, Jake, man. I'm, I'm, I'm grinding through Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about that, but, you know, living, living okay, breaking down Odell Beckham film. Like I said, watching Game of Thrones, it doesn't get any better than that, really. Oh, I know. So, I mean, look, we'll jump right into it because the Six Dangerous Questions is a two-minute offense. So, most importantly, where are you with Game of Thrones? And, uh, like, you know, every time I look on Twitter, I feel like you've skipped, like, half a season. Are you just watching it that quickly? What's going on? I'm very fortunate, man. Like, I uh, I can watch it work because when I work, there's a lot of downtime and we don't get monitored heavily. So that's sometimes where I do, like, my day job. I do a lot of my writing for the OBR and Cleveland.com. And um, when I have some downtime, I'll cut on an episode of Game of Thrones. So I've been able to, like chug through it by consuming a couple at work and then maybe one at night because uh, you know I have a young son so I don't really have time when he's awake but uh, yeah I take advantage of, of every every minute of this last month and um, well I think I started at the beginning of March I put out that question is it possible to finish it by April 14th because that was my goal like I'd always been very hesitant I'm not sure if I like like love the genre that this is I mean I think I like I really love Star Wars I love you know sci-fi stuff in general but like would I love something like Lord of the Rings and kind of falls under the same umbrella of medieval time or whatever. And uh, I've loved it. I've loved it way more than I thought I would. I just finished 
Uh, I think it was six three. So episode season. Oh six, man, you're almost there. Three. Yeah, Daenerys just walked out of the house of the widows of the Khaleesi. Um, with, you know, with the Dothraki tribe. So yeah, pretty cool episode. We're grinding, man. We, you know, Jon Snow just came back to life and all mm-hmm, that good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a fantastic show. It's a lot. It's hard to consume. I don't think the show was meant to be binged. There's so much. It's emotion. not. It's not. Yeah, it's man. it's definitely one of those where like the waiting time i mean look you just said Jon snow came back to life you that probably Jon snow was dead for you for like four days for us he was dead for a whole year and the waiting around and the like contemplation of what's actually going on in the theories you know were flying around and that's what is a big thing so i understand this isn't exactly a binge worthy show but it's one of the best shows of all time and like you said it's it's a weird genre it's not just like Fantasy, it's kind of like a sci-fi fantasy but a crossover. Time period piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it right, it's a time period, but it's not Earth, so it's it's yeah. very strange. So uh, glad you're whipping through it. I can't wait for you to watch the rest of season six because there's a lot of fun to happen still. So um, anyway, I'm a little upset I didn't get that like experience of waiting. Yeah, I think that, that's probably how it how it was best consumed, like you said. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think I'm appreciating some of the gravitas of, like, the big moments. I mean, like, there are big moments that are, like, chilling and, like, you get the goosebumps and all that. But, like, I couldn't imagine some of the cliffhangers at the end of the season. Like you said, Jon Snow's dead. I, it's unfortunate, like, people got on me the other day because I put out something. They're like, well, there are people going through this. And I'm like, I mean, I've seen, I can't do anything. I, 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 the other day, I think it was, like, a week and a half ago that the season eight trailer came out. Yeah. And like I saw Jon Snow on the freaking cover of it, so I know he's alive. Right. And, you know, yeah. That's kind of like the punishment of starting a show late, or you know, when it's it's all these years later, is that you're gonna probably stumble upon things, and it's just enjoy it for what it is. But I do wish I would have gotten the experience of watching it through in real time and breaking it all down. Cause that that what I imagine is pretty cool. Yeah, I um, it, it's funny you say like it's so impossible to avoid because. When I was watching season one, I was watching on DVDs, and uh, season two was just about to start, and I saw like a little clip of like a previously on, and I was like, "Ooh, I better not watch this." And within like two seconds, I saw Ned Stark's head fall off his head <laughs> body. And I was like, "I guess I know what happens to Ned," but uh, yeah. yeah, but you know what? You're almost there, and nobody knows what's going on in season eight because there's no books to go off of, so you're going to be able to enjoy it with everybody else. I know, so. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. So, look, I didn't have you on just to talk Game of Thrones, even though I could do that for hours. Uh, (laughs) There have been some big moves in Cleveland history, but maybe the biggest move in Brown's history happened this week. Uh, I'm a big fan of Odell Beckham. I've been in, I've lived in New Jersey my entire life, and I was so pissed that he wasn't getting appreciated enough in New York because of just how good he is that it started to make me just like resent the Giants. And this is a huge pickup for the Browns. And it seemed like it didn't cost that much for a premier wide receiver. I mean, I know you're thrilled about the move because it's just going for it, which is great. Is Freddie Kitchens going to have a problem, though, with like feeding all these mouths? How does like OBJ work into this offense? Because it's, it's a weird problem to have in Cleveland right now. Yeah, and I wouldn't, Jake, I wouldn't, I know what we're saying here, I mean, I'm sure my, my, I've been very careful with this, and mm-hmm. to me, it's not a problem. Right. Like, and I, I know that's not what you're saying, but it's like the common nomenclature semantics to, to say it that way. Like, this, this terrible rap that's happening with who Eldell Beckham is as a person, and you know being in over in New York, that the way they're treating him on the way out the door. Oh my God, it's little, terrible. Yeah, with, with little to no thank you for what he provided them. There's a fine line between guys who are hot-headed and a fine line between guys who just want to win. Yeah. I view him as a guy who wants to win. Mm-hmm. And when they don't align their version of the best way to win, that's where problems happen. I think that's a majority of what's going on with Odell. And I think, too, there are probably worse situations where he was young and made mistakes. Being a, I couldn't, Jake, I couldn't even imagine being 21 to 24 year, years old and having the entire organization on your back. It's It's... it's it's hard for the regular human who's not involved in these things to understand that. So I think Odell would mention, or not mention, but admit that mistakes happen. But the thing that I keep going back to is how much maturity I feel like he's shown 
in the past six months with the entire situation. He could have bashed New York on the way out this trade, but he's not doing that. He's handling it better than so many people in New York are. So it's encouraging to see him handling everything the right way, hungry to get going with guys that he knows, Adam Henry, the likes of Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield he has formed a startup relationship with. All of those things are super encouraging. And they hired Freddie Kitchens because he's a guy who handles personality. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest reason they hired him is not because he's a football genius, although he, was a, he did a great job as an offense coordinator. What I think Freddie does well is he works with people. He finds people to trust. He builds relationships with those people, and he listens. The biggest part of being a leader, and especially when it comes to play calling and working with a unit in football, is listening to people giving advice around you. He's done that well in the past year. He did that well listening to the people he is supposed to be hiring, getting the right guys in the door. They've built, and he cannot undersell how great a staff on paper. It's all got a mesh, but how great the staff looks around him. So I feel good about his ability to handle, juggle the personalities of Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, because I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think that there is going to be a united front about winning football games because at the end of the day, both Odell and Jarvis have gotten paid, will continue to get paid. Baker's been paid. These guys have gotten the stuff that usually can cause distractions off the field. It's about what's on the field for them, and that's winning because that's where the legacy gets left. I truly don't think it will be a problem. There are always going to be chances that they may lose some games out of the gate and things get said. But if you're just looking at what is most important and what guys value, there is no doubt in my mind that the way Freddie Kitchens handles personalities and the way he's able to build relationships, that it won't be a problem. And Adam Henry's there to sort of usher in that coach-to-player relationship too. So it's a really good thing all the way around. Yeah, that's really well said. I'm glad that you brought up how he's handled leaving New York and everything because, you know, he had every right to bash them because of just the way he was treated there. And I'm going to be honest, I was critical of him at times because I thought, man, you know, a lot of these things are distracting. But, you know, I was proven wrong over the last couple months, and I'm glad because I think you can see how passionate he is to win and to play on a winning team. And I think you're right. I think, you know, getting his money, and I think the Browns surrounded him with the perfect environment. You know, he's his quarterback he's already buddies with, and he's young and entering his prime. He's Two of his better buddies in the league are Adam Henry and Jarvis Landry. So, And like you said about Freddie Kitchens, he's a guy that talks to his team and says, what type of plays do you like to run? There's not a lot of coaches who will do that, and that's a player's coach to me. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think this is a, the right environment for him. I, I like that. There's no doubt that it is going to be, if there's an an ideal environment for Odell Beckham in the league and it's Cleveland, and you can throw jokes out if you're not a Cleveland fan, that's fine, but there's tangible facts on paper of the people who have worked with him when he's done his best, people that he he would admit to you have done a great job of humbling him, pushing him to be a better football player. And, uh, and he's playing with just a hell of a lot better quarterback, so that'll that'll mesh well, too. Yeah, it'll be really exciting, if anything. So uh, I'm pumped for it. I can't wait to get out there for a game. Um, it did cost them, though. They sent a first-round pick. They sent a third-round pick. And then they also sent Jabril Peppers, who really looked like he was coming into his own last year. He started playing in the right position, and he started making some highlight plays. No one's ever going to forget that sack at Denver, and he had to pick that game too, and he was really starting to show that he was in the right spot. He's gone now. Uh, how do you think the the Browns should address safety? Uh, do they pay Demarius Randall now? Do they attack this in the draft? What's like the best route safety-wise? Because to be honest... I wasn't really paying attention to the position in the draft all that much until we needed it. Yeah, um, I, it, that's a great point. I mean, I, I, I started to genuinely love what Jabril Peppers was becoming as a football player, and it's tough to see him go, but with any good trade, you're going to give up some things that you care about. And we wish, obviously, it's tough for Jabril because he's going from 0-16 to building this up, becoming a part of the swagger that was that yeah. defense, and then he's got to go to New York, who's... Although they're not admitting they're in a rebuild, they are in a rebuild. Oh, so yeah. um, tough for him not to be able to see this through. But on the other hand, that was a need that New York probably coveted, and it made sense for them. But the Browns have to replace him. They have, um, you know, it's not bare bones. They have Derek Kendrick here. He's a box safety. He is really effective in the box playing the run, but is not going to do much for you in coverage 
the Browns would be wise to, to try to find somebody to replace him. There are names out there. Um, you know, there's Trey, uh, Trey, uh, Trey Boston um, is, is a name that, that people are going to have to pay attention to for sure. Uh, Clayton Gathers out of uh, Indianapolis is another name of, of, of note that could play that box. Safety. Eric Berry, mm-hmm. the name John Dorsey's very familiar with in uh, in Kansas City. I know he hasn't played much in the last two years, but he's a safety uh, that could certainly come in and at least challenge, and you have a backup in Kendra that could be there in case he gets hurt. They have to address it in free agency. I, I take that back. They don't have to address it in free agency. I do think they would be wise, but we have seen safeties come in and play really well in the NFL as a rookie. If you just look at Jesse Bates in Cincinnati, uh, you know, is a, a very talented player that was drafted a little bit later. Obviously, have Derwin James, who is as effective as any safety playing out for L.A., uh, just another name to keep in mind of guys that have come in and contributed really well right away. Uh, Marcus Williams with the Saints a few years back. So we can be done. Mm-hmm. The draft does have some good safeties. Guys that could get to the second round, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida, good football player, could be a box safety. Juan Thornhill from Virginia, freak of nature, tested like ridiculous numbers at the Combine, oh, yeah. also had some production that lined up with it. So it's a good safety draft. There are also still good players uh, out there on the on the market that can be had too, and it's probably pushing toward that one-year deal mo- uh, mold of things, and that's what the Browns would, would like to take advantage of in this cap bubble is, is, is maybe signing somebody for a year and then seeing where things shake out the following year. Yeah, I like that approach. You know, uh, you said Eric Berry, and a lot of people turned to 2010 when we Browns fans wanted him big time in the draft. Might not be the same player he is now, but wouldn't be a bad thing to bring him in and possibly draft a guy like Thornhill, who I've heard a lot from on a lot of podcasts in the Cleveland area over the last couple of days. Uh, I know Pete Smith and, and Lloyd love him, so... You know, maybe there's something there. Maybe that's a second or third round pick. They address safety and, you know, get it ready for a year or two. You know, and and that that's I always like to do uh, to bring in a rookie and have him, you know, be ready in a year or two. Uh, and I think you know they have the room to bring in a veteran like Barry. Uh, is that the next move for the Browns? Is safety outside of that? What what do you think they still need to address? I see they're making some depth signings, uh, but. Is there anything else glaring that they need to go out and get? I would like them to address linebacker if they could go out and get somebody on the trade market. Zach Brown was just let go from Washington. Yeah. He's a name to pay attention to uh, as a will linebacker who could challenge Christian Kirksey. You only want the Browns really playing two linebackers most of the time anyway. Right. So it's something to keep in mind. It seems like Kirksey, I know he has a $10 million cap hit this year. He's not going anywhere. But after 2020, he only has about a 2.5, 2.75 cap hit so they can move on from him if the production continues to be as poor as it has been recently. So um, I would I would expect them to address linebacker. They could go out and trade for Darren Lee, who's been on the market. They have trade bait. They have Emmanuel Ogba. They have Duke Johnson. Obviously, those guys who I don't think will play a very big role, even if they are here, I think it would be wise for them to possibly move on to them if the value lines up that they improve their football team because of it. Don't just give guys away but find value, and I think they can find value. I would love them to address linebacker, would love them to address safety, would also love them to address uh, their, their defensive line interior-wise as well a little bit more. I would like one more signing up there to feel good going into the draft. Mm-hmm. And then on the offensive side, they did sign Mr. Kush. Great name, right? Oh, um, love Kush. Kush. OG Kush, that's pretty funny. Uh, but he's, he's a depth player. He's, he's, he's going to be fine. He's not going to challenge. Uh, if he does end up challenging Austin Corbett to start at right guard, I would be pretty surprised by that. He's just a guy who can spot start here or there, just good depth on the interior. They could draft a player on the interior as well. I think that would be a wise move with one of their extra picks there in the middle round. So, um, And Dorsey said today, don't put it past them to move up. So if the right safety is there or the right corner is there late in the first round, Browns can package a second and a third to go get that player they think can still impact. They, they might do that, which kind of puts a wrinkle in my in-game plans to go to opening night. But yeah. nonetheless, he could do that. I do think they need to address those. Those safety linebacker interior needs a little bit more help. I think they should probably consider signing another corner. They have three guys in that area. They might they might be able to get one more to feel really confident going into the year. But they still, like we said, got a lot of picks to develop guys. And then, like I said, offensively, an interior player would be wise. 
funny you mentioned Endgame because I had to explain to my girlfriend this week how big of a deal the draft is to me and that usually I live cast during it and she's like, what are you talking about? That's 26 and I'm like, ugh, awkward. <laughs> but yeah. I'll have to... the Battle of Winterfell that weekend. Too. I know, that's going to be huge. I might just take off Monday just uh, to get it all out of my system. Uh, probably, probably wise move, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, so I'm look. I think I think you're right. Uh, I one theory I have about the draft is that the moment Jeff Simmons got hurt, he slid down the draft, and I think Dorsey eyed him as a trade up candidate. So not sure if that's going to be day one or day two, but I think the D tackle of Mississippi State that might be something where Dorsey moves up and says, "I like this guy. I want him." package a couple of those picks because we're not going to need eight nine rookies on this team so might as well use them to move up and i think wouldn't be a bad idea to bring in simmons and then in two three years when sheldon richardson's off the books maybe simmons is the guy by then i i don't think that's a bad plan for d tackle i know they have bigger needs but uh that's just a little theory i have that's that's all i'm throwing out there i've seen it around a couple couple different mocks yeah i think it'd be wise for them if they said still at 49 and he's still there to take him. I'm not sure I would ever move up in a situation like this for somebody who's hurt like that. But mm -hmm. you're right. It, it, I don't know what their plan is. More often than not, I've found to be wrong on this stuff. Uh, Jeff Simmons has a ton of talent. If they take him or, or the Tillery kid out of Notre Dame, yeah. uh, both of whom are dealing with injuries that are requiring surgery, the ACL, and then I think the labrum for Tillery. Um, you know, th th there's, there's players to be had there, and if they want to take the patient approach, that can be wise, too, if you think it's an immensely talented player and you don't mind waiting a year on him. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Maybe uh, Dorsey's always, it seems like he's always got an eye on the next year, too. Uh, it yep. seems like he might be messing around with the cap a little bit. Uh, there's rumors of reworking these Giants players deals so that it kind of, you know, takes money this year and sets them up for 2021 or whatever. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. I, I'm, I'm very interested in that, though, because... You know, my next question is, what is, like, is are we supposed to be worried about the cap? Uh, I'll just put it like that because, you know, a couple weeks ago, it's the Browns have so much cap room. Now they're bringing in these guys, and all, all, all over Twitter, I'm seeing a lot on cap and issues. You know, kind of just tell me it's okay. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. They'll iron it all out. There's no doubt in my mind uh, that they that they will be able to wiggle it all out. They're signing a lot. The beautiful part of what Dorsey did last year, what he continues to do is front load things with the cap bubble, but guys that they can walk away from with a minimal cap hit, yeah. like Kirksey, those guys that they can get away from in years future when things get a little bit tighter. I, I refuse to worry about it until it's here. You have a franchise quarterback. You have a defensive end who can change the game. You now have a wide receiver who changes the game. We'll worry about it when it's here. They'll find ways to make it work to keep guys here. They have great guys working the cap with Deep Podesta, uh, amongst many others that I can't name for sake of time. They'll make it work. I know John Dorsey learned from his mistakes in Kansas City. They won't let that happen again. And even if they do have to move on from some names, we don't want them to move on. That's because they have talent. That's because the Browns are winning games, and they'll find ways to replace them. So I refuse to worry about that until it ever comes to fruition. I, I love hearing that. And you know what? I, I think the, the point is you have the quarterback – they're always going to make sure they have money for the quarterback. They're not stupid. They're always going to have that ready to roll. And as long as you have the quarterback and you're protecting the quarterback, if he's that good, your team will fall in line after that because I think you can find weapons and you can continue to build a defense around that. Um, so, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, you're right, man. It's, it's figure out the quarterback position and then everything else falls in line. You figure out the quarterback position because – um, you know, you can then from there you make all the other moves. It's a trickle down effect. If Baker Mayfield didn't play last year, and we just saw Tyrod Taylor all year, we probably don't see an Odell Beckham trade, and we probably don't see Sheldon Richardson. They probably hold on for another year. Instead, wow. you got a quarterback who showed he's ahead of schedule, who showed he's an advanced player at the position. We got a window. Let's make it happen. I love it. I love the approach. It's all been great. All right. So last question. I know you, we've had you way over time, and we really appreciate that at the Jake Podcast. Um, your favorite Jakes. You know, this is Jake Burns, Jake Brainy on the Jake Podcast. But who are your favorite Jakes out there? I've got a couple in mind. I want to see if we overlap at all. 
Well, I love Jake Johnson. He's a he, he's an actor. I'm not sure many people know about him. He's in New Girl. Love it. New and, Girl, the Jurassic movies. Yeah. Yeah, and then he was just in Spider Man uh, Into the Spideyverse, which is one of my favorite Marvel movies of all time. Now, mm-hmm. thought he was fantastic. He's great. I love Jake Gyllenhaal, also the actor. Um, just think he's a great method actor. He's actually, ironically enough, going to be in the next Marvel universe. Yeah. Uh, the new Spider Man is Mysterio. So, mm-hmm. uh, but no, I think he's a great method actor who can play a ton of different roles. I try to see everything he's in. And then lastly, Jake the Snake Plumber Man, because when I was Ooh. playing in college, that's. That's where I got the nickname The Snake uh, at, at, when I played at my small university. So I, I've always had Jake Plummer. Uh, been a fan. I remember him in the Rose Bowl in 96 and just being enthralled with that guy who played with a lot of passion. Uh, you know, Plummer was one of my finalists because that was one of the first. I was Jake the Snake growing up, too, because of him. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say Jake Roberts, but you know what? We'll, we'll <laughs> let that fly. And and my, uh, my sleeper pick was Jake Busey because uh, – Man, I love Starship Troopers. I think it's one of the most underrated movies of all time. But uh, listen, Jake Burns, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know it took time out of your Game of Thrones schedule and your Porter Burns photo shoots and all all the jazz that you guys do. Uh, Tell the fam we said hello and we appreciate you coming on. Uh, Do you guys go by PB&J, Porter Burns and Jake at all? No, we should, though. I like that a lot. I'll have to put that up for official sanction in the household tonight. Definitely got to throw that around. Listen, Jake, (laughs) thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. Anytime. All right. Thanks.